Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. I am your host, as always, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. And with me today, we have a nice intimate session with uh, original guest member Tad Mastroianni. How are you doing, Tad? Everybody relax. I'm here. Oh, yes. I. You know what? I... I wish I could relax, but we, as we've been talking for several weeks now, this is like the <laughs> cursed pairing of films because we have tried several times uh, to record this and it is something has always gone wrong at first. Uh, the first time, uh, I don't remember why we couldn't do it the first time. Nobody could make some, some, some scheduling problem. We, we had scheduling issues. And then this, and then the next week, uh, Southern California lost internet. And so we were running on limited bandwidth and we're concerned that if we recorded a full uh, episode, we would, we would have too much distortion or dropout. And so we decided against it. And then this week, we, both Tad and I were sitting here waiting to join on Zoom and apparently the link never sent despite showing sense. So it had to be redone. So I, little things adding up to an Amityville curse. Why is that uh, <laughs> relevant? Because today's uh, part one pairing is of the feature combination, uh, big things in small packages. And up first today, we'll talk about Inner Space 1987 by Joe D'Amato and uh, featuring Martin Short and uh, Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan and a million other people. And then next week, we'll have part two with Amityville Dollhouse, the eighth Amityville film in the original series. Uh, I am, I, normally I'm excited to talk about these. It's not that I'm not excited. It's that I've been trying to talk about these for three weeks. Uh, so let's dive right in. Uh, Inner Space, 1987. This is a, a strange film, I would hazard to say, as many John D'Amato films are or Diamato, uh, I, I would love him to come on the podcast to tell me the correct way because everyone seems to have a different opinion on how to say, uh, he says his last name rather. Uh, but Inner Space is a comedic take on the 1966 film idea of a fantastic voyage, shrinking someone down uh, and putting them in a pod and then putting them in a human body to do something. Now, uh, unlike Fantastic Voyage and many other iterations of that story, it's not to save, you know, the, the larger person from cancer or disease or something like that. Um, this is, this was an accident in the movie's plot. Uh, basically, the, a U.S. 
group has perfected the art of shrinking and re-enlarging uh, the shrunky and uh, a money-grubbing capitalist uh, espionage man has the uh, he, well he tries to steal the pod he steals one of two chips that are needed to make the thing happen and then while fleeing uh, one of the original scientists injects poor hypochondriac Martin Short in the bum with the pod containing intrepid if alcoholic um, decorated pilot uh, played by Dennis Quaid. So Dennis Quaid is piloting a small machine inside of Martin Short and can eventually speak with him and look through his eyes. And he leads him on a madcap escapade to uh, be re-enlarged, uh, which of course means meeting with uh, his on and again, off again, journalist girlfriend played by Meg Ryan. And uh, together the odd trio sort of defeats the bad guys uh, for the most part and uh, gets re-enlarged. And then Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid's characters get married. And then we have this nice little ending, which we'll talk about uh, a kind of a, so uh, this is, okay. So this movie won uh, an Academy Award for visual effects. It's the only, uh, I believe it's actually, I don't know if Small Soldiers did, but I don't think it did. It's the only film of Joe D'Amato, I believe, to win an Academy in any way, shape, or form. Now, he's most famous for having directed Gremlins. Um, both that film and this film are uh, Amblin Pictures Productions, which is Steven Spielberg's production company. Uh, and they both, I mean, all of D'Amato's films sort of have a similar vibe, I would say. They're weird. They're like, they're like if John Hughes decided to make a horror movie you know even when they're not horror movies they're these weird moments um but it's also very like 80s infused uh practical effects it's a comedy but it's not i found it wasn't a it's not a laugh out loud comedy in most cases um although i but there's some great moments so let's talk about this tad had you seen this movie before i believe you had and what was your take watching it this time this is um, part of my childhood in the old, like I mentioned, probably in multiple podcasts at this point, the uh, Comedy Central block of movies that just repeated over and over again throughout the 90s and 2000s. And I can't even, this is another one of those, I don't know how many times I've watched this movie. So I sat down with my wife who had never seen it because she'd never heard of it. Um, poor sheltered girl. She, she was soon educated. On this rewatch, um, I appreciated it more because I think the last time I saw this movie, I was 14, 15, um, but I always enjoyed it when I was a kid. And uh, now I have an even bigger appreciation for it because it's of an era where that gave us stuff like, like Nate, this is the, uh, for me, this is like the science fiction version of Big Trouble in Little China, just with uh, Dennis Quaid as the discount. Ah. Uh, uh, uh. Kurt Russell's character oh my god I am blanking on it of all things see here's the thing this is a cursed film collection again because by the way I realized as you were speaking I said Joe D'Amato or D'Amato who is the mm, pornography film director who occasionally does horror films when in my brain I knew correctly it's Joe Dante um, now, who also did the Howling uh, and, and uh, like I said, Small Soldiers and Gremlins and so on. So I don't know what is up with this combination. I'm going to blame it solely on that. 
this I, is I a also... segue from our last podcast where we talked about the porn industry for like 15 minutes right. but jack knows, burton jack that, burton jack burton who knows when we'll air that uh or this i i sometimes switch the order up but yeah this is wild uh, so anyway joe dante directed this film um one of his early shots was given to him, I believe, by Roger Corman with Piranha, with the original Piranha, uh, which was fun. And yeah, this was one of the films Comedy Central played over and over again. And interestingly enough, it the humor and personality comes from primarily from the fact that, um, one, even the bad guys, even the death, it's not really that threatening it's in that 80s like i said john hughes mood like nothing seems really that important even though they're telling us it's of critical importance to national security um but it's martin short and dennis quaid and also meg ryan does well as well but they they do a great job um i love martin short he's a fantastic physical comedian and seeing everyone so young again is just it's it's wonderful but i just have to give it to robert picardo who plays oh, the cowboy. Yes. Holy crap. He had me, he actually, no, he did have me chuckling and smiling every time he was on. So he's the arms, the broker, the black market broker. And he's plays someone who is of an unclear ethnicity who really idolizes American cowboys. And so, and they never really explain, there's no explanation. He's just he wears a cowboy hat and sort of really stereotypical <laughs> boots and Western shirts and like the bolero and the whole deal and a gold chain. Um, and he's just kind of swarthy. Um, it's bizarre. And it gets even weirder because uh, at one point uh, when Meg Ryan has teamed with uh, Martin Short's character and inside him, Dennis Quaid is, is you know, trying to help them both to get the chip they need to make him large again he they capture the cowboy tie him up uh strip him and tie him up the bathtub and then martin short is his physical features of his face are changed uh via dennis quaid controlling his body from the inside to look like the cowboy and they put this silly you know martin short wig on picardo and um and use his voice and it, it it's one of the it then leads to the most insane visual effect in the film. Um, I wouldn't say best, although it's good, but most insane when his face def deforms back into Martin Short's face in the middle of their tea with the villain. Um, and I love, it's so gruesome and weird looking. Uh, and they have, you know, plastic forms of his faces and such like that, as it like shakes back and forth, that both the villains, the villain, the female villain, and Meg Ryan's character all like screech and huddle in a corner against each other from this hideous thing, which is just this really cute, funny moment. Um, Cause you know, you're supposed to be like, oh, this is the big moment. These are the true bad people. And then everyone's just like, oh, what the hell was that? Um, Should be noted that for people who are not aware of who Robert Picardo is, your best indication is uh, he was the emergency medical hologram from Star Trek, Star Trek Voyager. Voyager, correct. Um, he is truly uh, a wonderful actor, and he's done. I would have to say he he did. He's done a ton of work, most of which 
I never saw. Um, but he he's done a lot of voice acting now at this point in his career as well. He's uh, Puddington in uh, Bravest Warriors, the animated series. Um, he's been in a couple of video games and Fallout 4, called several Call of Duties, all that jazz. So he's certainly working. There's no... Uh, no fear about that, but he's a delight. And I guarantee you will not recognize him until, uh, unless you knew that going forward, um, because they have him real tanned up. Um, it's, I would not say it's blackface, but because he's not, it's not clear he's supposed to, what ethnicity he's supposed to be. He's just this, he's just a character. Uh, he's just this absurd character. And we have a couple of absurd characters in this movie, right? Like we have um, the, the bad guy's strong arm, guy uh who's uh, uh played by vernon wells mr ego who has a robotic hand that he can pull his hand off and put different things different machines on it uh, and people will i mean vernon wells is uh, a very we've talked about him on this podcast before um he's been a villain in many 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 movies uh a lot of movies that we cover on this podcast a man who's not afraid to be typecast let's put it that way that that is correct um and i think uh i'm trying to decide what what people would know him best from i mean he was wes in in uh, uh mad max to the well the road warrior um he was in i mean he's been in everything he's he's worked with all of the biggest action stars schwarzenegger mel gibson um martin short clearly uh but he plays like this terminator knockoff and uh i i don't know what to think about it again i didn't recognize him for the longest time i was like why do i know him and it it's partially because he wears like dark sunglasses all the time in a suit but also he acts like a robot and so when he's a person with a robotic hand i was kind of surprised <laughs> um because he he's so weird like it takes him half the movie to have an emotion like crack a smile and then it's because he's like you know vindictive and and masochistic um but we get one scene in there which is true uh i'm sure I'm, I just want to see the the parents who brought their small children uh, to the theater in this one when um, he puts on a vibrator hand uh, to to please the the female villain. Oh, it's, <laughs> this, it, this is this is a brilliant movie in all ways. <laughs> um, and supposedly Vernon Wells has said in interviews that he he wanted to. Um, he sort of he wanted to be the terminator in that movie so he based his performance on Arnold Schwarzenegger which is pretty obvious i mean he wears the literal same bland sunglasses um i'm not sure i guess luca um uh, Berkovici was originally not only was he originally cast as ego instead of Vernon Wells but they actually filmed all they filmed all his roles um i know him because he wrote ghoulies uh but and he's done many other he's still still acting now uh but i guess the issue was is that he's essentially kind of short uh and he's essentially the same size as martin short which is indeed short and so they were we like it doesn't work uh which i can imagine what kind of surprises me though is i'm just like you didn't know that going in like that was even a question like you went you had to film all the scenes before 
you know, that even occurred. Also, I don't know that he has too many, too many scenes even really physically in a physical altercation with Martin Shore. I feel like you could have worked around that pretty easy, especially since they actually, at one point, the two villains are shrunk to half size and they built a fake car, like a, a fake multi, you know, super long car interior to do a forced perspective. Um, so the, the, the small characters are in the far away backseat. It looks closer as they try and mess up uh, Meg Ryan and Martin Short who are driving the car in the front seat. They did all that, but they were like, eh, we can't deal with a short guy. <laughs> it, just, it just sort of is a, it's a weird. Uh, Look, the special effects weren't that good back then. I mean, well, so what's amazing about it, the special effects are pretty excellent. No, think, this movie looked amazing for its time. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and, and we, and we didn't even, this wasn't even an HD transfer. Right. Um, this was the, this was the DVD, but I have to say the, the DVD, was it MGM? I can't remember, but the DVD was, was a good transfer. It is a contemporary transfer. Now here's why we reviewed the DVD and not um, the, the Blu-ray, or I think there's even a 4k now I can't remember, but in any case, apparently they there's a, a crowd scene and they they did redo it um, in like 2003, uh, and so and that's what's included. Uh, so this is the unaltered version. Um, why they did it, I'm not sure. There, I'm sure that there is some small reason. If anybody knows, write us at coltonclassicpodcast.gmail.com. But if you're watching the new version, it certainly doesn't detract from the movie. I don't think, but it is weird. And so it's stuck, stuck to the original cut, uh, Lucas. And uh, so, and I wanna say to Wendy, who is the- um, uh, the, the, the coworker that he thirsts the, after? Yeah, the coworker that Martin Shore is really trying to get with this punk coworker. She's, I've talked about her before. She's one of my favorite actors. I absolutely love her. She was, last time we saw her on this podcast, she had a very small role as like a, a I don't know, a one night stand girlfriend or a broke a breakup girlfriend at um in short not short circuit. I my, my brain is going out here. Oh, battery's not included. The film, uh the also Steven Spielberg produced film where she walks down the stairs. We get one small shot of her. Everyone else will know her as the voice of Francine from American Dad. Um, she's a treasure. I think she's great. And to see her play this role, I thought she knocked it out of the park. Um, being this <laughs> super ditzy but sort of tr troubled but also sort of charming I, I think we've all just known a person like this um and maybe it's just a, like a, a young quote unquote nice guy experience to have someone like this but you know some people are kind of even if they've had hard life they are a user and they will use you however possible for their own benefit not even in a malicious way just in a well i don't get what i need out of my life so i'm going to take it from you because you're willing to give it <laughs> and and um and that's the, her character in this and uh and the, we get this great moment uh which i think anyone can identify with uh where or or as a fantasy we can identify with it probably haven't actually done it in real life where at the end martin short who's been kind of this weak scared hypochondriac um fawning over this coworker, she's like hey like let's let's get together and he looks at her and he goes i don't think so and drives away to have this brand new adventure and it's just that thing whether it's a job or uh, uh an ex or anything i think everyone can identify with that moment of being that having that fantasy dream moment where you just want to say 
no, I don't think so. Like I was wrong. You're not that great. Uh, and it's just a nice way to, to end it. it. Let's touch on the ending of this film. Cause there's all these weird scenes uh, that are, that are funny and they're vintage Joe Dante. Uh, and also we shouldn't, we shouldn't cut out the fact that it is also very Steven Spielberg. I mean, this is his kind of movie, right? Like it's a family film in that, you know, vibrator aside, for the most part, everyone in the family has something to enjoy in it. It's also got the fantasy element, which Spielberg loves, especially in his, in his youth uh, before he, he really went Kubrick on us. Um, and I mean, you know, you lose some things, you gain a beautiful visual sensibility. It, it happens. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, the, the end of this movie is actually, we think it's the end because Dennis Quaid, uh, Tuck Pendleton, the ace pilot, now uh, a, a hero, is married to, to Meg Ryan's character, the journalist, Nikki, right? And uh, I, I guess, is it Nikki? No, Lydia, my, my apologies, Lydia. But they drive away and then Martin Short realizes that the cowboy was the cab driver. Um, and in the trunk are the shrunk versions of, of the villains. And uh, he's like, I gotta go. And he takes Tuck's fancy car that he's gotten used to driving. And he, he drives after them and he's super happy smiling as he drives like, oh, I, this is what I need. This is my life now is adventure. And I liked that happy moment. I also, I don't know how you felt about it. Cause I think some people are like, well, that's not the end. But something I've always, ever since a kid, and maybe it's because I used film for, so, for escapism to such an extent, I loved the idea that we got a full story and then the movie's like, and there's more adventure after. It's sort of like the best children's books, you know, where like, instead of it's like, and they lived happily ever after, which is really close ended. It's like, and they had more and more adventures for the rest of forever. You're like, oh, that's what I want to hear. It's a problem that modern cinema has is that um, it can be open-ended. We do not need everything wrapped up because it let it, like, it's one of those, we left it open-ended. It could have a sequel, and thank God we didn't make one because it would not have lived up. You some things just don't need sequels. Kind of like remember Super Mario Brothers. It opened up open-ended. Did we? Did we as kids want a sequel? Depends on how much you liked that movie. The sad I thing is, is now did. I want now I want a sequel. Yes. Like, um, and I'm actually watching this. I was a little surprised. Like if this movie had done a little better, because they expected it to do really well. It's Warner Brothers, I think. They expected it to really well off the heels of Gremlins, um, but they did a, a pardon the French, piss poor uh, job of advertisement. And so even though it opened on, it opened on a 4th of July weekend, I believe, uh, which should be a big go, and it was not. Um, and so it was kind of a bust and it was not a super cheap movie to make. I mean, we've talked about the graphics on like his face change. Um, we haven't really talked about the graphics of the actual like Dennis Quaid in the pod flying in Martin Short's body. It's I mean, it's not Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, but it's not that far off. It's really well done um, because it's practical effects. We're not talking 3D effects here. Like we're talking forced perspective. We're talking, oh, those blood cells or globules, they're actually real gelatin ball, right? Like it looks really good. It also has some of the best green screening. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it, it sort of puts modern technology to shame the amount of effort that goes that went into green screening at that time annually. Uh, so anyway, that was really well done. Um, I enjoyed the movie. I do think it was a little long. It's two hours long, give or take. And there's a little bit, 
it's hard for the thing I'll say that it's hard for me to judge exactly where I would have cut. Um, perhaps there's a scene, there's scenes that are in there specifically to try and develop the relationship between um, Tuck Pendleton and uh, his Jack Potter, his new body, you know, right? His new, his new body friend. Um, and it's a nice relationship. Like it's actually, even when Jack starts to have like, a crush on Lydia uh there's never really like I I honestly think when you're writing the script it would have been hard-pressed not to have you know like oh well Tuck gets mad and he starts beating up on Martin Short from the inside right like you kind of expected that in a way um and it's been done in other shrinking movies but they don't do that in fact Tuck Pendleton is sort of like like at one point Martin Short's character actually says, like, can you give us a minute? And he's like, when really Tuck is like, that's my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> and, but he does, he actually does give it. And they kiss. And of course, they, they you know, Tuck and, and, and Lydia still end up together. Um, but I thought that was actually a really nice, it, it actually, it, those touches like that, they tell you a lot about the character to, an, to a depth that most movies, I think, that are just aiming for like a, a family action comedy wouldn't bother with. Um, but that does come with the price of some pacing issues. Like we get when Martin Short is captured by the bad guy, uh, Scrimshaw, and is driven around in the back of a freezer truck. We, we probably didn't need that. Um, but we didn't need another uh, hero dangling from a goddamn truck door uh, scene. No, although again, it is, it's all real, you know, um, so take, do, do with it what you may, and I've mentioned all these characters, um, but the, the villain, Victor Scrimshaw, is played by Kevin McCarthy, um, who's also has a 30, he, he died in 2010, but he has a 30 million uh, movie long list of, of great stuff. He was, I mean, he's been in so many things um he was in the uh both the 56 and 78 invasion of the body snatchers films um he was in I'm trying to think oh he was in the 94 1994's road racers movie uh which which uh, give it just look it up uh he was in uhf the the weird Al Yankovic film so he's been in a million things and you know like he's one of those people that even if you don't remember what he's from you see him and you're like oh yeah yeah He's classically trained probably, or, you know, like I, I, I recognize him and this is, this is old hat for him at this point. Um, but he does a good job. And then we also have uh, Fiona Lewis is the one that plays uh, uh, Dr. Kanker, who's the, the seductive evil villainess. She was an interesting role because I guess... I, I'm not sure she now she did some some Christopher Lee era uh, I believe like Hammer films and uh, she's wonderful and she was a very beautiful woman uh, and she played Susan in, in the Fury 1978 which is another good one I, I don't know because what's weird about it is that we have her I'm stumbling because I was I'm trying to and I, I feel this way about Joe Dante movies I'm trying to decide where all the characters like fit into the archetype of the story like the structure of the story like because we don't just have you know the evil mr scrimshaw we also have his right hand strongman ego but then we also have the evil villainess who's a who's an intelligent doctor you know like a a, a physicist we assume uh canker and so 
we sort of have an overabundance of villains. And I'm not, it's not that they're wasted because we get banter between Scrimshaw and Kanker. Um, and then we get like the 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 mini boss death uh, of of ego, but I just don't know when you pick when you write a script. I don't understand where that came in. Like you would not normally just put characters in for no reason. Now Joe Dante did not um, solely write the script. In fact, he's not even credited as writing the script, although he did write some dialogue uh, for it. Uh, Jeffrey Boehm and Chip Prozer wrote the script. Um, there, I mean, Jeffrey Bohm worked on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, the original Dead Zone movie. Uh, he, he wrote one of my famous favorite comic book schlock fest from the 90s, The Phantom with Billy Zane. Uh, you know, these, these people are, they're professionals. Um, but at the same time, you always want, you see things like this and you wonder, where the hell did this come from? Um, where did... I, I'm not sure uh, where where it where it came from, and this is what I want to mention too: that there is an 18-minute short film sequel to this that came out in 2018. I I think it's a fan film. I I've not been able to track it down. Uh, so, if it, but if anybody's interested, check it out uh, because they do reference characters from this, uh, and I'm sure Tad's going to. That is so fucking weird, but I guess I can't be surprised. Yeah, I believe it's a it's it's a it might it's it's a latine production so i don't know if it's if it's actually from spain maybe it isn't uh, or it's, if it's mexican or whatnot but it, who does that uh you know what in the age of kickstarter i'm not shocked you know i really am not and, and i think in the fan film era we really shouldn't be but it is <laughs> quite a niche film to do a sequel of i'll say um I mean, so the only the only major like mainstream anything that i know that references this movie is futurama it's the episode where fry eats the damn gas station sandwich and gets the egg sandwich them. yeah yeah and it, and this movie is sort of it's one of those weird ones where i feel like a lot of people of our generation is probably the last millennial generation is probably the last generation that sees this movie and is like oh yeah inner space but we never think of it because it isn't the big joe dante movie you know it's not um it's it's not gremlins it's not uh the howling it's not small soldiers it's inner space and it's a weird one because it's got such big names in it. I mean, when you're, you're talking Martin Short, Dennis Quaid, and Meg Ryan at like the peak of all of their careers. And um, to then have a film that's essentially not only a forgotten film, but an, an Academy Award-winning film, uh, it's weird. It's a real weird one. Uh, it was kind of a dry year, to be fair, for the nominations, but I don't think that that's not saying it doesn't deserve it. The effects are really phenomenal. Uh, I think that people going in expecting it to be an effects-driven movie, though, are going to be disappointed because the effects are fantastic, but they're used uh, in limited moments. You know, we have maybe a half dozen scenes of Dennis Quaid actually doing things inside the body, you know, tearing tearing a blood vessel or tearing a, so we can go into somewhere else or whatever. Um, and, you know, we get only maybe two moments of like real facial alterations uh for martin short and that's then we get some shrinking and the shrinking stuff is not i mean they've been doing shrinking since the 50s in movies right i mean um attack of the puppet people you know like uh, it, it, it has been done a long time so I, I just don't know i don't know where this film falls in the history books i, I don't think it's going to be there it's um 
I think this movie actually does something and it's subtle, but I noticed it on this watch um, when it comes to science fiction and I always appreciate the attention to detail. The way they shrink you is they actually shunt a ton of your matter off and basically store it somewhere. And what's left is essentially a reshaped you in a really tiny form. And I thought that was really a really cool idea because essentially they have to fully reassemble you to unshrink you. And I was like, it's one of those things like that seems like the only thing that something only a Spielberg movie would have in it, where it's just that little extra attention to detail that makes you go, hey, that's a cool idea. And it's then, it's essentially a Star Trek transporter. Yeah. But instead of just transporting you from one place to the next, it transports you like a small portion of you in a mini you. And then and so it's just it's a fascinating um it's a fascinating movie. And there's lots of Easter eggs in this movie, especially to the Fantastic Voyage. Um so if if you're interested, it sounds like it's your cup of tea. And I mean it's a fun movie. I, I don't really I don't know. I would be surprised if there's someone who's mad at watching this movie. Um, I think it's fun. Um, you may not laugh out loud a ton, but you're engaged. It's more of that kind of movie. Um, and I think if you paired it with, especially 1966, uh, The Fantastic Voyage, I think you will really enjoy it because there are so many plays. It's It almost plays, because I have seen that film many times, it almost plays as a sequel um which is kind of fun to think that this is the same universe but you know uh, uh 20 plus years later and and just having it sort of rediscovered it's it's neat uh so that's probably gonna wrap this up here because i think i do think i'm gonna recommend it um i do think especially if you're a film buff watch this film it's one of those this is gonna sneak under the radar it's sort of like i don't think it qualifies truly as cult film yet because it is big names big studio still in product you know still in circulation easily but I think we're watching a cult film be formed, right? Because the people who know and care about this movie are getting smaller and smaller and things that have a lot more visual, uh, more obvious visual effects, such as Dreamscape, also Dennis Quaid, um, which is another fun one, that that's actually, even though that was considered the lesser film and the lesser known film compared to something like Space. That one I feel like is actually getting to be more well known than inner space. And I think it's because of the flashiness. You know, there's a monster in it, right? Like, and this one doesn't have that. I think it's weird to say subtlety because it's sort of a slapstick comedy in many, many instances. But the the effects aren't necessarily there, except in the face change, they're not there to make you go, wow, the effects. They literally are like the perfect face of makeup these days, right? That you want to look like you're not wearing makeup. That's what they always say. Um, and that's what this movie does. It wants to look real. And I think it does a really good job of that. Um, plus I always, anything with Martin Short, I think is worth watching. Uh, I may be alone in that these days. We'll, f- we'll find out. Uh, but anyway, Tad, would you recommend Inner Space 1987? And if so, to who and why? goddamn lootly I think that this is a movie that everyone who has that collection of 80s movies in their house somewhere, this needs to be added to it right next to Short Circuit and also right next to John Carpenter's The Thing. Both great family films. That's that's good. That's good to mention too. I also, before we go, because I do think that's a good one to wrap this up on. Uh, there are so many cameos in this movie, and what I love about it is they're cameos of people that other people will that like viewers will not recognize. They're cameos that the filmmakers are super excited to put in. Like oh, I don't know, uh, animation legend Chuck Jones being a, in the supermarket scene. Um, 
uh, that that's the biggest one that stands out in my head, but there's several others. There's several others from uh, famous 50s and 60s science fiction films sprinkled throughout there. And that, like I said, they're just there for no other purpose than to be um, to be a, a nice to be hey, there. look. Yeah, like it's just it's an interesting thing. So um, that that's gonna wrap this up for this part one of uh, big things and small packages. I stuttered a lot in this one, and I think it's because I just I still don't quite know where to put inner space in the film genre language we have now because I think it is still in transition. I think it is rapidly becoming incredibly obscure. And that is the rare moment when something becomes cult or something becomes forgotten. And oftentimes a film is forgotten and then later will become cult. But I think that may happen with inner space because it has enough interest and draw in it it will probably be forgotten and then will be rejuvenated with yet another transfer. Uh, and they will have a slew of extras and it'll be an anniversary and we'll go see it on a special screening in theaters and then go pick up the Shout Factory Blu-ray or 4K or and then, 8K, whatever. And then uh, in 2033, uh, Inner Space 2 will finally come out and we'll all want to throw shit at the screen. And they're going, I mean, Martin Short will be gone, but Sheila Booth will be on like his, his second <laughs> resurgence. They'll be like, they'll be like, we forgive you for like the girlfriend abuse and like dog murder now. Uh, and, and now you're back and you're going to do children's movies. Um, and that's, what's going to happen. And, and they're, yeah. And they won't be able to get Dwayne Johnson, but they will get Vin Diesel to play ego and, and he'll be older, but it'll be okay. Cause his voice, you know, and they'll just, yeah, anyway. <laughs> we're we're on a tangent uh but catch it seriously leave us a review wherever you get your podcast please 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 recommend us to your friends um both of those are great ways to help other people find us thank you so much for the continued growth of cult and classic podcast this is really uh important to us because it's it's a baby and we've raised this baby and it may be weird and it may be uneven and it may smell really bad sometimes but we love it and it's growing into an awesome fully fledged uh self-sustaining podcast so thank you guys so much for that we love you listen every week tuesdays for our main episodes and then fridays for minisodes where we give you neat little things like episodes from our vaults and interviews and product reviews and whatever and uh next week catch us for part two of big things in small packages with amityville dollhouse to play us out as always is the chud Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.